We've been studying what to do to get promoted, right? We're studying the life of David from the shepherd's fields to when the crown got placed on his head. As a young man in the shepherd's fields, he was anointed to be king, but it didn't take place overnight. There was years and years of tests and trials and things he had to develop on the inside of him until he was ready for the crown to go on his head. We've been studying how to get promoted, okay? The series within a series is this. We're going to talk today about preventing demotion, preventing demotion. Because see, there's certain things that we can do to get promoted, but there's also certain things that we have to learn how to maintain or else we're going to get demoted in life. Very, very important. So we're looking at the scriptures, 1 Samuel 17. Uh, we, we ended last week on verse 25. Remember last week, David brought his brother some food. Remember that? And the last thing we stopped on is when he finally saw Goliath for the first time. Everybody with me? So David sees Goliath way off in the distance, taunting God's people. 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 25, here we go. King Saul has promised to give a big reward to the man who kills Goliath. The king will also give him his daughter to marry, I hope she's got a good personality, and will not, and will not require his family to pay taxes. Verse 26, David asked the men near him, what will the man get who kills the Philistine and frees Israel? After all, who is this Philistine to defy the army of God? They told him what would be done for the man who killed Goliath. In verse 28, Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard David talking to the men. He lost his temper and said, what are you doing here? Who's watching after your little flock of scrawny sheep, you brat? You just came to watch a fight. Verse 29, what have I done, David asked. All I did was ask a question. Verse 30, ignoring his brother, David turned away from Eliab and asked somebody else the same question, and he got the same answer. Some of the men heard what David said, and they told King Saul, who sent for him, and David told Saul, your majesty, nobody should be afraid of this Philistine. I'm going to go and fight him. No, answered Saul. How could you fight him? You're just a boy. He's been a soldier all his life. Verse 34, David said, I take care of my father's sheep. Anytime a lion or bear carries off a lamb, I go after it. I attack and I rescue Stacy. I mean the lamb. And if the lion or bear turns on me, I grab it by the throat and I beat it to death. He was from Aner. And if I have killed lions and I've killed bears, and I'll do the same to this heathen Philistine who's defied the army of the living God. The Lord save me from lions and bears. He'll save me from this Philistine. All right, Saul answered, go and may the Lord be with you. Today, in part one of preventing demotion, we're going to talk about be a peacemaker. Be a peacemaker. If I was going to title this, because you know I'm staying with the be a, be excuse free, be faithful with little, be progressive. If I wanted to title this, what I wanted to title it, I would have titled it, don't be difficult to get along with. Do you know how awful it is to work with somebody that's just difficult to get along with? They always have something negative to say. They're always criticizing somebody, gossiping. They're always correcting people when they don't need to correct them. Peace is highly underrated. People don't even understand the value of peace anymore because everywhere we look, there's strife. People love to verbalize their unproductive opinions. They do it on Facebook. They do it in the circle of friends. They do it when they're out to lunch with their coworkers. They do it at work. All the time, they're saying things that don't even matter, that have no productivity with us. We don't realize what strife can do to a relationship, what strife can do to a workplace, what strife can do to opportunities that God has for you. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the makers and maintainers of peace. In order to maintain peace, some of y'all have to stop getting the last word in every argument. 
In order, I just saw people looking at their spouse. Don't look at your spouse during this sermon, not even once, okay? In order to maintain peace, some of you have to stop getting in other people's business that has nothing to do with you. In order to maintain peace, and this is going to hurt, this is going to hurt really bad. In order to maintain peace, some of y'all have to let other people think that they're right, even if they're wrong. If I can be very honest with you, this is the number one area in my life that I've gotten demoted because of. I can take five steps forward in God and one step backwards because of things like this. And I finally learned and I'm still learning my lesson. But sometimes it's so difficult to bite your tongue. And I've learned, here's what I think in my mind when these things occur. I think in my mind, I've only been given a certain amount of energy each day. I've only been given a certain amount of time and a certain amount of emotional energy. And if I engage in this conversation, if I reply with what my opinion is, if I correct somebody that doesn't really need to be corrected, if I fight with my child or my friend, I have to ask myself, is that emotional energy being taken away from something that God has actually called me to do in life? One of the main ways that we can be a peacemaker is this. Choose your battles wisely. Choose your battles wisely. We have to realize God is not a God of strife. He's not a God of negativity. God is a God of encouragement and peace. And sometimes I think about my life like I'm in, the, in, in this little two foot by two foot square. And every one of you and every friend I have and every Facebook friend and every coworker, they're on squares just like mine all around me and I'm in the center. Every time I encourage somebody, they take a step closer to me. Every time I correct someone that's not my business to correct, every time I take a strong opinionative stance towards something that's opposite of what somebody else shared, every time I try to force my revelation on somebody else, they take a step away from me. Our goal in life should be to get as many people as close to us as we can through the power of encouragement. David knew how to choose his battles wisely. Not every battle is worth fighting. Not every disagreement is worth winning. In fact, most of the battles that come our way are actually distractions from the enemy to get us off course, stop focusing on what we're supposed to focus on, and actually miss out on opportunities that God has for us. If your child makes a mistake, is it worth really getting into it? Some things you should, some things you just let go. If your friend offends you, if your boss fusses at you, you have to ask yourself, if I spend my energy engaging in this battle, if I bring a comeback with my verbal, with, with my words, if I get into it, even if I win the battle, even if I prove my point, even if I win my critic over, even if I finally get their approval, what is my actual reward? What actually comes with it? It's like the big Mayweather fight that took place, you know, a few months ago. Y'all know about that, right? Okay. So he got paid $100 million to fight. Now, if they came to me and said, listen, John Paul, we want to put you in the ring with Mayweather, okay? We're going to pay you $100 million to fight him. Listen, we know I would lose. I'd probably get knocked out on the first punch. However, it's worth $100 million for me to get in the ring with that man, okay? Even though I know I'm going to lose. However, if we're walking on the street one day and I came across Mayweather and he said, listen, I'll pay you $100 to fight me. That's not worth fighting Mayweather. It's not worth getting, listen, this is my money shot right here. I can't get this, it's not worth $100 to get this thing messed up. Now, $100 million, I can get a fake tooth put in there for $100 million, okay? That's worth it. Anytime there's a battle, we have to ask ourselves, what is the spoil? 
Spoil's a biblical word that you also might have heard in like pirate movies or things like that. Spoil is they would never fight unless the spoil was worth it. They wouldn't fight just because somebody talked about their mama or said something they didn't like or whatever. The case. They would fight if there was land to fight over. That was a spoil. Or there was jewels, silver, gold, money. That's spoil. Or, 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 or in the Bible days, tents and horses and cattle. They'd fight over that. That's spoil. We have to ask ourselves, when I engage in this fight, what is the reward I'm going to get? Listen real close. We're studying the life of David, right? What we just read. The first thing David said when he saw Goliath, the first words that came out of his mouth were this. What's the reward? What's the reward for going after this giant? Listen, I don't care, win, lose. I'm just asking, what's the reward? I'll think about whether or not I'm going to fight him after I find out what the reward is. I'm not just going to fight him because he came up to me. I'm not just going to get in a verbal argument with him just because he said something I didn't like. I want to know what's the reward in first samuel 17 25 they said well that man's going to marry the king's daughter be free from paying taxes here's what david thought you know what that's worth it that's worth a fight this is a battle worth getting into this is a battle where the spoil is high enough that i'm going to fight i'm going to interact just a few verses later david's older brother eliab got into it with him. In verse 32, he said, why are you here? Who's watching your little flock of scrawny sheep? You're a brat. You just came to watch a fight. Now, David had feelings just like you and me, okay? Just like us. Just like us. David could have done one of two things. One is, he could have engaged with Eliab and tried to prove his point and say, Eliab, I'm just here for good reasons. I'm your brother. I'm bringing you food. I'm trying to help you. I got a good heart. I'm doing what God wants me to do. Or two, he could have cut his head off, beat him up, you know, chopped off an arm, whatever you want to do. Here's how we know David could do that. David could beat a lion, he could beat a bear, and we, of course, know in hindsight he could beat Goliath. If David was that good of a warrior, he could have beat the crap out of Eliab. He could have let him have it. He could have told him off, he could have hit him a few times, been done with it. But here's what David realized. The very, 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 very important thing is this. David knew what battles to fight. And David knew what battles to walk away from. He did something that no man has ever done in Socrates. In verse 30, he did this. David turned away from Eliab. He turned away. He said, you know what? This battle's not worth it. There's a more important battle that I am going to get into. It's not this one. The reason David was a champion in life, the reason he soared to such great heights in life is this. David knew what battles to fight, and he knew what battles to walk away from. Man, I, I've, I've, I've counseled so many men over the past 10 years who don't have a job because they either get in a fight with their boss and leave, or they get in a fight with their boss and they quit. And they don't realize some battles aren't worth fighting. Some battles don't have anything to do with your God-given destiny. Why would you engage and waste time and energy on something that had nothing to do with you? David knew if I engage in the battle with Eliab, I'm going to miss out on the battle that really matters, the battle against Goliath. That's the one I want to focus on. So my question to you today is this. And listen, let me just tell you that when it comes to strife, strife isn't just fighting with your fists. Strife isn't just yelling and cussing at each other. Strife can be anything as simple 
is if you have a couple, a married couple, and one spouse has a very strong personality and one's a very peace, quietful one, and the strong personality is always forcing their opinions, always bringing correction, always instructing when it's not necessary. And just because the peaceful one is allowing you to walk all over them doesn't mean God's okay with it. Doesn't mean that's peace. That's not peace. That's still strife. So we have to ask ourselves, are the battles that we are engaging in on a daily basis, are they furthering us toward our God-given destiny or are they taking us away from our God-given destiny? Proverbs 20 verse 3 says, any fool can start an argument. It's an honor to cease from strife and to avoid a fight. Even if we prove our point, even if we win our critic over, even if we correct and they see it and all this stuff, if we've brought in strife, we've still lost the battle. We've still lost the battle. And I'm telling you, this is something I failed so many times in my past. Uh, just a few weeks ago um, on Facebook, somebody I've never met my entire life, never been to church here, never met them ever, they put a bunch of bad stuff about me on a, on a community page, on a, on, a, on a big thing. And man, the old me would have called them up, found their number, and listen, I do words for a living. Like, I speak for a living. Just as I can encourage you at that same level, I can destroy you with my words. I mean, I can make you turn around and bear, you would literally dig yourself a hole and bury yourself in it when I got done verbalizing stuff with you. I can really destroy somebody. So I, my first thought was, I'm gonna try to win this guy over. If that don't work, I'm gonna destroy him. I mean, he will not even know what's hit him. Two minutes on the phone with me, he'll wish he had never even said anything ever in his life. But I let it go. I thought, okay, God, this is not a Goliath. This is an Eliab. It's taking the place of, I could be playing with my children, I could be writing a sermon, I could be working out, I could be doing something that is actually productive in life rather than engage with this yo-yo that's trying to say things and bring me, you know, take, take my energy away. In the story of Nehemiah, this happened, this is the exact thing that happened to him in the Bible, in the Old Testament. Nehemiah's um, 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 calling, his promotion, the thing God wanted to do in his life was for Nehemiah to be in charge of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, okay? God went to people before that, and they all couldn't do it and turned it down. Finally, God comes to Nehemiah. He had 42 days to get all these people together to rebuild this wall. But as he was working on the ladder, he was on top of the wall, building it, encouraging people and doing his thing, these two yo-yos named Sanballat and Tobiah kept showing up. And they'd yell things at him, and they'd curse him out, and they threw rocks at him a few times. And in Nehemiah 4, verse 1, it says, Sanballat and Tobiah ridiculed me, saying, what kind of wall can you build? A fox could knock it down. I mean, they did all kind. They, they went to the government, tried to get him to lose his permission to build the wall. I mean, all kind of, they talked about his mama. One time, Tobiah yelled out, your mama's so dumb, she went to the dentist to get her Bluetooth fixed. I mean, it was just like on and on. She, they were just saying stuff to him. So finally, in verse 3, it says, they even sent me a message saying, let us meet together in one of the villages. But I told them, I'm doing a great work, and I can't come down off this ladder. Here's what Nehemiah was saying. It's just a distraction. It's an Eliab. There's no spoil. If I get down off this ladder, and if I engage in this battle, even if I win the battle... What is my reward? It's not worth getting into it. I heard somebody say, a bulldog can whoop a skunk any day of the week. Sometimes it decides it's just not worth the stink. In our life, we have to tell ourselves, even if I whoop this skunk, is it worth leaving smelling like a stink the rest of the day? Is it worth getting into? Matthew 12, 25 
says a house with internal strife is continually brought to destruction. Let me tell you, the Bible talks about strife, whether it's a little teeny crack in a dam or whether the entire dam explodes, it still destroys. doesn't matter how small or big. The thing about strife is, it's, it's, whenever there's strife in a relationship or at a workplace or, or in a small group or whatever it is, it's like we're taking that relationship and we're handing it to the devil on a silver platter and we're saying, here, destroy it. Destroy it. If you keep fighting with your spouse, you're going to end up divorced, is what this is saying. If you keep correcting your friends, they're going to, they're going to end up not inviting you over. You're going to be lonely. If you keep saying negative things to your siblings, you're going to end up, not, you're going to end up being alone at Thanksgiving. If you continue to bring strife in the workplace, you're going to end up... Jo- Some of y'all want to be alone on Thanksgiving. I can understand that. But so, if you keep having strife at your job, you're going to end up jobless. You're not going to have a place to go. A house with internal strife is continually, you don't even realize it's happening, but the foundation's getting ripped apart, left and right and left and right, all because of something as simple as strife. I heard about this couple, they've been married for 50 years, okay, 50 years, not one single fight. I mean, a 50-year marriage, perfect marriage, they were celebrating their wedding anniversary. They had all their family and friends in town, and at one point, the husband told everybody how they had never had a fight. In 50 years, and everyone was so amazed at this, they said, oh, well, tell us, what's your secret? How could you have a marriage? 50 years, not one fight. The husband said, well, whenever we left the chapel, you know, this was 50 years ago, it was a long, long time ago, he said, we got on our wagon, and we had our horse, his name was Gus, and Gus was driving us to, the, to the, the honeymoon destination, and we were so excited to be married and going off together, and about 150 yards down the way, Gus started veering to the left. So he said, I, I jerked Gus back in place and I got off the wagon. I looked at him between the eyes and I said, Gus, that's one. Got back on the wagon. I put my arm around my beautiful bride and we're headed to our, our honeymoon destination. So excited to be together. Everything seemed fine. About 50 yards down the way, Gus started to veer to the left again. So he said, I jerked Gus back in place. I got off the wagon. I looked at Gus and I said, Gus, that's two. Another 50 yards down the road, as excited as we were, we were almost at the place we were going to stay for the next three or four days of our first married life. Gus started veering off to the left again. I jerked Gus back in place. I got off the wagon. I pulled out my shotgun, and I shot Gus right between the eyes. I re-harnessed me a new horse, put it back on there, got on the wagon, put my arm around my bride, and she opened up her mouth and let me have it. She said, are you crazy? What's wrong with you? I can't believe you would do this. Are you insane? I looked at my new bride and I said, honey, that's one. Never had a fight from then on out. We got along. Everything was great. Perfect marriage. Okay. Serious. Here's some serious stuff. Ready? Listen. Don't have unrealistic expectations for people. Okay? It's unrealistic for you to think that you're child's never going to make a mistake. Choose your battles wisely. It's unrealistic for you to think that, that the people in your uh, authorities in your life are going to be perfect. Your pastor's going to be perfect. Your small group leader's going to be perfect. Your, your, your boss is going to be perfect. No, no, that, that's unrealistic thinking. That, it's not like that. If you have a problem with your boss, quit your job, but don't talk bad about him or her and, and slack off at work and have less excellence because they're doing something that you don't agree with. Find another job. We can't have unrealistic expectations set us up to be offended, hurt, confused on a regular basis. Uh, it's, it's like um, the other day I was going to say I was watching football, but we all know that would be a lie. I was at a house where people were watching football, and I heard somebody say something to the effect of, 
Why didn't he just pass it to so-and-so? They were open. And inside when I heard that, I laughed because I thought, here we are sitting in a house on a very comfortable sofa. The temperature's just right. There's no sun in our face or anything like that. We're looking at a perfectly clear television screen with five different camera angles, a bird's eye view, and there's not a 380-pound man getting paid a million dollars to tackle us and destroy us. It's easy to say, why didn't you just pass it to this guy? He was open. When you're not there on the field, same thing's true with your boss. It's easy to say, ah, they, if they were better, they'd treat us like this, and I can't believe they did. You don't know the pressure that people have and the positions that they have. We have to learn to be able to, to, to let people have a bad day every now and then. Um, I heard about this, uh, a true story. This uh, lady, she had a brand new car given to her by her husband as a wedding present. She was so excited. She loved it. And just a few days after the wedding, um, she was going through an intersection, and she, she wrecked the car. She sideswiped somebody. Nobody was hurt, but the car was destroyed, and the other car was practically totaled as well. And she was hysterical. I mean, she was sobbing and crying her eyes out. And the policemen arrived, and they thought she was hurt because she was so upset. She said, no, 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 I'm not hurt. My husband... He bought me this present as a wedding gift, and he's going to be so upset. He's going to be so mad and angry at me. I can't believe I did this. And the officer said, there's nothing I can do. Just give me your license and your insurance and registration. And she's crying and crying. And she handed him her license. She said, I don't know where the registration is. He said, look in the glove box. It's probably in there. And so she opened it up, and there was an envelope that said um, registration and insurance card. She opened it up, and there was a letter attached to it, a little note. And it said, honey, in case you ever need this, remember... It's you I love and not the car. And you know, in life, we have to ask ourselves this. Does the, 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 the position that I'm in outweigh the irritations that come against me? Does the fact that I'm friends with this person outweigh the offenses? Does the fact that I'm part of this church or that I have this job or that I'm at this place outweigh the negative? If so, you have to learn to do what Ephesians 4.2 says, which is bear with one another and make allowances out of love. If you like the position you're in, if you like the friends you have, if you like the church you have, the job you have, you have to learn to make allowances or you're going to lose the very thing that God's blessed you with. I'll tell you one story and I'll let you go. And, you know, I told you this is the, the area that I failed. I've gotten demoted in, through, in life a lot and I, I finally learned my lesson. But um, I'll tell you one of ten stories because if I told you all of them, you'd think I'm the worst pastor in the world. But uh, several years ago, there was a lady that was um, in our old building. She was doing um, small groups and Bible studies here and and one of the things she did was she was great and excellent at serving in every single area of church that she served in. She was so excellent, so faithful, so positive, except for the area of Bible studies. And all I had to do if I was mature enough then, I would have just not asked her to do a Bible study. If she couldn't do what we wanted her to do, then she'd be okay with it. And she would do all the other things and we'd both be happy. But me wanting to please and wanting to help, and I'd ask her to do a Bible study. And every time, no matter how much we organized and got it ready, she would always want to change it to the last minute. Oh, I want to do this book. I want to do this. I want to have a meeting at my house. I said, well, people are allergic to cats. You got like seven cats. Oh, no, they're going to love it. It's going to be great. I want to have it at this restaurant. On and on. And she, we were on the phone one day, and I'll never forget looking at my phone. And for 13 and a half minutes, I was trying to get a word in to stop her and say, listen, let me just tell you what we want you to do. She just went on and, oh, we're going to do this, and my husband's going to make this, and we're going to ask these people from this other church to be a part of it. No, no, no. I said, listen, 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 please, please. She goes, finally, about 13 and a half minutes, I looked at the phone, and I said, shut up and listen to me. And I kid you not, when I said that, I actually felt so good inside. I felt like, oh, this feels so good, and I felt warm and fuzzy all over. And then there was about 10 seconds of silence. And the next thing I heard was her husband on the phone that said, what did you say to my wife? 
And I said, I told her, shut up and listen to me. <laughs> I hung up the phone and we never saw him again. Now, here's the point I want to make. All I had to do was just let her do what she wanted to that time. And then after that, never ask her to lead a Bible study again. But me in my, whether you want to call it personality or flesh pattern or whatever it was, I had to prove my point. I had to force her to do what I wanted to do. I had to make sure that, you know, my way was the best way on and on. And I learned something that day that I'm going to share with you. And this is the last point. I learned this. In every situation, I asked myself, what do I want more? Peace and healthy relationships or to get my point across? Because see, when it comes to peace and healthy relationships, we got to learn how to guard our heart. What that means is if somebody's just irritating to you, if you have to love them from a distance, you guard your heart and you just don't see them that much. You just don't give that much time to them. When they call you, sometimes just let the phone continue to ring. You learn how to guard yourself because you say, you know what, the only way I can have a healthy relationship with this person is to not ask them to do a Bible study, in my case, or is to not visit them every single week, or is to not answer the phone every single time they call. Whatever it is, in every situation, do I want peace and healthy relationships, which is what God wants, or... Do I want to get my point across? The only thing that's keeping some of you here today from having peace in your life and from getting promoted is that you're right and the other person's wrong. But the Bible doesn't say it's okay to get in strife as long as you're right. The Bible says any strife involved is going to destroy the relationship. When God has big promotion in store for us, there will always be an Eliab always trying to get us distracted so we can't focus on the Goliath in our life. Anytime God's got you up on a ladder working for him, doing great things, raising your family, you know, whatever, there's always going to be a Tobiah and Sanballat saying things that are negative and critical. And you're going to try to think, oh, I just want to try to win them over if they just understand my heart. If somebody doesn't want to ask for your heart and they don't want to understand you, don't waste your time giving it to them. Don't force people to love you who don't want to love you. Don't force people to like you who don't want to like you. Don't try to force people to agree with you who don't want to agree with you. Just live your life and do what God's calling you to do. And I promise if you do this, not only will you get promoted, but unlike me, you won't get demoted in life as well. Amen.